right, fantastic. Got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. All right, Matthew chapter 16. It's great to see you guys today, by the way. And, um, you know, I don't know that there's any more important uh, of a series that I'm doing uh, than this one. I, again, I just wanted to take a first few weeks just to, you know, just to talk to you because, because we need to know who we are. A person who knows who they are um, has, great, has great strength, you know. They, they, they understand they had the picture of what it what it is, and so, and so I last week we talked. Uh, I wanted to talk about 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 you. This is you, as far as singular. You know, our language is tough tough because singular and plural is the same word, you and you. So it can be you or it can be you. All right. And so I'll do my best to say. But last week we talked. This is you, and I talked about you individually, who you are in Christ personally. That was last week, and that's the only way we're going to do it. Uh, because, because in reality, the Scripture doesn't address us near as much personally, especially when it's who we're supposed to be as it does as a group, right? Who we are. You'll see that today. The individuality in the life of the believer is obviously a personal relationship we have with him, but who we are and how we function in the Scripture is all towards us as a whole, okay? The we, this is us. Okay, what a cool title too. You know, I know it's a, I know it's a, uh, it's a, a program, a, a special on TV or program, but I, yeah, I've never seen it. But it's a cool title, all right. So I had to use it because that is what we want to talk about. Last week, this is you. In in our culture, so much emphasis put on individualism, individual achievement, individual everything. But remember, as a believer, that is not who we are called to be. That may even sound a little strange. Therefore, the greater prayer is not, Lord, I want you to use me today. The greater thought there is, Lord, I want you to use us. You're going to see it today. It, it may hit you because it goes countercultural, right? Because so much, so much in our culture revolves around me, right? How does it affect me? I mean, people go to church, usually today, they attend a church that Basically, it's the one I like. It's the one that meets my needs. It's the one I feel this or I like this. And that is not who he's called us to be. As I told you last week, if a church turns into just a show once a week and then, and then you just, you know, you go to, you know, 30 or, or 32 shows a year, and that may, that's not who he's called us to be. Yes, we are to do the weekend service as well. Yes, is there's is to be worshiped. But in reality, the functionality of who he's called us to be is much different than our world thinks. So, but today's title, last week was This Is You. And for the next few weeks, I want us to find out what the scriptures teach about who we are. Okay? Plural, who we are. Today's title is just what is it? You know? I'm going to ask you to do something that's almost impossible to do. And I'm going to ask you to jettison out of your brain, everything you've always thought or think when I mention the term church, right? When you think of church, what do you think, right? Don't say it out loud. What do you think, again, what do you think on when you think of church? Well, it's, you know, it's something I go to. It's some, no, no, no. It's something that you are. Remember, it is something that you are. It is, this is us. Therefore, we need to figure out what it is. 
because I've heard, I've even heard people say, well, you know, I'm a believer in Christ, but I don't, I, I, I'm not a member of a church. That's just not possible. If you're, if you read the scriptures, because the church is not an institution. That's what most people think. The church is not an institution. It's not an organization. Okay. It's not a denomination. In reality, if you, when we, you'll see it in just a minute. It, it, again, I'm sharing these things, but I'll share with you the scriptures in a minute that Cheryl did. You are the church. People. This building is not it. It's you. And Christ makes it very plain of how, who we're to be and how we're to function. You know, lots of times, lots of people have lots of opinions, you know, about about this term church. In fact, there's so much baggage that comes with the term church. Sometimes I hate to even use it, and yet I'm not going to stop using that word because Jesus used it and defined it. We just need to, we just need to understand what it means. The church today is going through a real identity crisis. You know? You know, I've even heard people say, you know, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't particularly like church. That's an oxymoron. Right? I'm not calling you a moron to go look it up. All right? You can't, you know, that's like saying, you know, I love your eyes, but I hate the rest of you. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just not, it's not possible when you see it for what it really is. Now, if you've got a different definition, and, you know, and, a, and I understand, there's no hurt quite like if you've ever been burned or hurt in a church situation, then I understand that. But you have to remember, you have to remember what this is. And so that's what today is about. Today, I just want you to see it. Again, take a look now, if you will, in Matthew chapter 16. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. And this is the, in Matthew chapter 16, this is the first mention of the term church. Jesus, it, the church did not exist, okay, it, before, who, before Christ. And this is the first mention of it in the Bible, because Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 16. This is a little bit later in Jesus' ministry, and, he, and, he, he, and as he normally does, he was popular at this time, so he just couldn't be out and about, right? He just couldn't. And so um, they went out of country. He'd take his 12 out of country just so he could spend some time to rest and spend some time with them personally. And so they went up to Caesarea Philippi. I've been there at least the ruins of Caesarea Philippi, it's just to the north of Israel. And it says, when he came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question. And he asked the 12, he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am, that the Son of Man is? Now, so what Jesus wants to know from them is, hey, what are people saying? Even better than that, here's the thought. What are people's opinions of me, right? Who do they, what is their opinion of who I am, okay? Now, here's the cool thing about all this and a great thing for you to learn. As far as the church, as far as who Christ is, remember this, everybody's got an opinion. And if we were to poll everybody's opinion, right, the, the, the majority would not necessarily be right. You know, I hear sometimes, and, and that's where denominations fail. 
That's where a lot of people fail because it's an, it's an organization where you start setting policies. And the way you set policies is that everybody tells you what they think and they vote and they come up with something. But remember, it doesn't matter if 99% of the people thought this about who Jesus is. There's a difference between opinion and then what something or who somebody really is. Because who did that? What was their response? Their response was, well, you're John the Baptist, come back alive. Again, you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Now, were any of those right? No, they were all wrong. It's not who Jesus is. But that was everybody's opinions. It's the same concept here. Same thought here with the church. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Right? Well, I think the church ought to. Well, listen, remember this. I think the church is. I think the church ought to be. I think that in reality, that's your opinion. But we, we don't come up with the purpose of the church. We discover it. Because it is what it is. It doesn't matter what you think it might be or should be. It doesn't matter what I think it might be or should be. And that really cuts against the grain of an American, you know? Well, how dare you not value my opinion? Well, sorry. You see what I'm saying? I have always wanted to be a place to where we get our thoughts, our vision, our purpose from what the Scripture says we're supposed to be as opposed to coming up with something. Does that make sense? Because I can't tell you how many people come up with stuff. Because everybody in the room, including yours truly, has a personal agenda. Right? Everybody in the room, well, I think we ought to be feeding the poor. I think we ought to be, you know, totally this, you know, uh, politically get involved politically and changing the way I think we ought to. Now, those would be some of the things we do, but that is not who we are. And when you identify, and what happens is when somebody's pet agenda, understand usually it's those who with the strongest personalities, right? And then when they get in charge, they send the whole thing towards whatever they think we ought to be. And we miss out being who he's called us to be. Interesting, huh? That's why Jesus said, well, who do people say that I am? You know, what does the general public out there think? I tell you what, the, the people around us, this is, they think we're just basically institutionalized religion, right? That we're just this institution that believes a certain way. And there's nothing further than from the truth, from what Jesus was meeting in this passage. I don't know, it's an incredible thing when I think about it. And I so want you to get it. Because when you get who you are, everything else changes. Not who you think you want to be. You see, as believers, guys, you and I have given up who we want to be. And we have dedicated ourselves to becoming who he wants us to be. And that cuts against the American grain, too. Well, nobody's going to tell me who I'm going to well, then, then you're not going to be his follower because his follower has a passion to be who he's called us to be. And we've got to get off the page of who he's called me to be because all the books, all the stuff that's written today currently is all about being the best you can be. That's immaterial. It's being the best we can be. This is us. That's a cool title, by the way. Have I told you that? Right. That's, I mean, you'll see it in just a minute. It's all there. It's all there. Jesus even went a little bit further. You know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, 
It's interesting. We just did a verse by verse all the way through on Wednesday nights, the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 9 is, is Paul, Saul. Uh, his, his, his name was Saul, and he changed it to Paul. But his conversion, how he became a believer, he was blind. Okay? He was actually blind, absolutely blind to himself. He was highly religious. I mean, there wasn't anybody more disciplined in following the scriptures and, and, and trying to do everything God had commanded us to do. I mean, that was, that was who Saul, Paul was. And there's no way I can give you all of the context in Acts chapter 9, but this is his conversion experience. Now, remember that, that Saul was a Pharisee. And that meant that he was highly dedicated uh, to getting the outside looking really good. In other words, doing everything he was supposed to do. And he was on his way, it says, in chapter 9, verse 3, to, as he approached Damascus. Now, he'd gone to Damascus. He'd gotten letters from the chief priests and all of the religious teachers to go and to find all of these followers of Christ and either arrest them, right, persecute them, do whatever he could do to stamp out this thing called Christianity. And so he was on his way. And while he was on his way to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, okay? And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, now this is, you're going to find out that this voice is Christ, right? Now this is what the voice said. Saul, Saul, listen to this. Why are you persecuting me? And a thought here, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you've been crucified, resurrected, and you've already ascended. So you're not even here. So how can Paul, Saul, be persecuting you? You'll never understand it until you understand who you are. Does that make sense? It'll never make sense to you until you get it, if you're a believer today, until you get it and find out who you are. But not just you individually, but who you are. Because Paul was persecuting the church. That's what he was doing. And therefore, Christ was saying, why are you persecuting me? And then one of the great statements in all of the Bible, Acts chapter 9, verse 5, Paul responded, now, now who are you, Lord? Okay, now that's unbelievable. One of the most religious people, he has the equivalent of two doctoral degrees, okay? Here's a guy who's smart, he knows all of, the, all of what the Bible teaches, at least at that time in the Old Testament. And when confronted with the God that he said he served, he didn't even recognize him. Okay, tell me, who, who are you? Right? Interesting. And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Oh. Uh-huh. So Jesus looks at you, if you're his, as not being separate from, separate from who he is. I find that amazing. Again, today is about you finding out who you are. Not you individually, but who you are. Most of our focus now in Christianity, especially in our culture, is on how we can grow individually. And to me, we lose the power and strength that he's called us to be by failing to recognize who we are. Right? And the reason for it is because nobody can get along. Right? We don't think of ourselves as functioning together. It's because nobody can get along. 
I mean, look at our government, guys. They can't get anything done because they can't get along, right? They're against what somebody else is trying to do just simply because they don't like them, right? It, we, it weeds its way into our church, and we become dysfunctional because we're not unified, right? But when he's at work, amazing things can happen. You'll see it in just a minute. It's incredible. All right, I have to move on. I have to get started, all right? <laughs> all right. Number one, if you want to follow along with this, Matthew chapter 16, we're staying there. I just wanted you to see it. I want you to get this. In fact, I want it so bad that you get this because it's life-changing because you have to live in this world. This world affects us, guys. I'm not blaming you. You have to live there. And it's so easy for it to rub off on you, the whole philosophy, political correctness, and all the stuff that goes on. So you have these thoughts that are diametrically opposed to who God's called you to be, and somehow you try to marry them, but they won't marry, right? Just take, again, just see it for what it is. That's why I ask you to jettison what you thought it was, a church was, and you'll see what the scripture teaches that it is, right? So number one is the foundation of the church. Now, last week, when I talked about this is you, that is singular, I wanted to talk about who you are, and what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ and understanding who Christ is and what he came to do. Last week we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For no one, can lay, no, no one can lay any other foundation than that which has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Therefore, the foundation of your life, the rock on which you build personally, is Jesus Christ, right? It's who he is, what he came to do. It's the gospel message that we talk about and that you, that you know and understand, okay? Or well, most of you don't understand. But remember this, that the church, really, which is all of us, it's the same foundation. Jesus talks about it here. It's the same foundation because what is it other than the individual life? It's all of us together in this mysterious thing called the church. It's also called, we'll talk about in a few weeks to come, you're going to hear me say that quite a bit. Because today's just kind of an overview, and we're going to look at some of these things in later because I want you to get them. I don't only want you to get the concept, I want you to get what they what they work, what they feel like. But the scriptures talk about the church being a body. Therefore, all of us have different gifts and abilities, hands, feet, eyes, ears, right? All of the different things. And when they all fit together and function in unity, it's a force to be reckoned with. But when they don't function together, then it's dysfunctional and, and, and really can be more destructive than good, right? It's an amazing thing how it works. So again, Therefore, it's not about, you know, it's not about a hand saying, God, use me today. No, it's, just, it's a hand saying, God, use us today. That's how you got to start seeing it, or you'll never understand this term that Jesus is using, of how we fit together to, for his purposes. Incredible, incredible to think about. So let's take a look at this, the foundation. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came, let's read that again, to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, <coughs> sorry about that, <coughs> third, third message, I'm starting to lose it, all right. But who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he looks at them and he says, but yeah, but, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter Peter pipes up, as he normally did. If you've read through the scriptures, you found out is that Peter, most of the time, was wrong. He just happened to get it right this time. 
You know, the, the current, the, the common joke for Peter was he only opened his mouth to change feet. Read this, it's incredible. Bless his heart, he was always the first to speak. And I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings, but most of the time the person who's first to speak is wrong, right? Because they talk before they think. Okay, you have somebody in your family like that. And I promise you, we do in our family. It just comes right out. So that's what with Peter, okay? But he happened to be right this time. Peter said this, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Now the word Christ is, is a Greek word. And I've told you this before, but I just want you to hear it again. But the Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. So those are the same words. So what Peter is saying is you're the guy. You're the guy, you're the one that's been told that was coming. You're the one we've been looking forward to. You're, you're him. You're God with us, Emmanuel. So Peter got it. Peter got who he was. Right? And to me, it's one of the most amazing things when people get it. But I want you to see here. Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered him after he said that and said, you know, you're blessed. He didn't congratulate Peter on being so smart or figuring it out himself. He said, I just want you to know how blessed you are. He called him Simon Bar-Jonah. If you want to know what bar means in that language, it means son of. Right? If your name is MacDonald, it means son of Donald, right? You got that piece, right? So Bar just means son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Okay? He says, blessed are you. You're blessed. You don't realize how privileged you are Peter, because listen, you didn't come up with this on your own. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Guys, I can't tell you how important that phrase is. You know, what I do is I can't tell you how dependent and needy that I am. Because when I stand up here and share things, I can share truth. But unless God works in a person's life and opens their eyes and lets them see it, I might as well be trying to describe the color blue to somebody who can't see and has never been able to see. Because that's why he looked at Peter and said, Peter, listen, I mean, don't get puffed up and proud here because you didn't come up with this on your own. You just didn't figure this out. God is at work in your life and allowed you to see it. And so I want all of us to see this today. That's why I pray at 99% of the time when I pray before the service, I prayed in the offering. God, open our eyes and let us see it. Because if God lets you see it, you'll never doubt it because you've seen it. It's an incredible thing when God is at work it that way. But that's how it works. We're dependent on him to say, and I, I can share truth, but unless you can see it, it doesn't matter. I can talk about what the church really is, but unless he opens your eyes and lets you see it, you're not ever going to get it, right? And even if you don't get it, I have found, that's why the promise in the Bible says this, right? If you want to know, he'll let you see. Jeff, are you sure? Absolutely. Scripture says if you seek, you will find. 100% of the time. So the question is not whether you know or not or whether you can see or not. The question is, do you want to know and see? 
Just spend time and say, Lord, I want to know. God, you've got to let me see this. I want to see this. I can't see it. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know, but I want to know. Scripture teaches us that all that come to him, he will not cast you aside. It's an amazing thought. I find that most people that don't know about him are the ones that don't want to know. Right? Incredible. So, he goes on to tell him, this is incredible. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So, so understanding this, Christ is the, is the foundation, right? Because it goes on to say, and I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, there it is. Right? That you're Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. You know, a lot of people, and it's just not, it just can't, it just is not the truth. Because you compare it with the rest of Scripture, a lot of people think that, or, or interpret this as if, as if Christ is building, is that Peter is the foundation of the church. Oh, Lord, help us. Okay? A sinful person who a few weeks later, okay, remember this, who a few weeks later would deny three times that he even knew who Christ was? Does that sound like someone that for centuries you're going to build the church on? It's not on Peter. It's on what Peter said. It's when God opens eyes that Christ is going to build those that are his. Why? Because you are the church. He's, he's building you down through the ages. So he's talking not just to Peter here, he's talking to us. Because we're his. Right? It's amazing to think about. I will build my church. It's an amazing, amazing ownership, if you will, of it too, which we'll get to in just a minute. But the foundation is him also. The foundation is who Christ is and what he came to do. Same as it is on your life individually, we talked about last week. How in the world, now I'll, I'll leave this in just a minute, but how in the world could anyone think that the, that the foundation of our lives, personal lives, is Christ, but then the foundation of the church is Peter? It doesn't even make sense, but okay, another, another time. All right, so here, he's our foundation, okay? And I want you to see here that Number one is the foundation of the church. Number two is the construction of it, okay? Construction of the church, okay? I want you to see that it says here, upon this rock, what did Jesus say? He said, I will, future tense, because it hadn't happened yet, I will build my church. So he's the one who can, who, who's the construction. He owns it. It's his. So, and again, I don't want you to get all caught up in semantics because but when you, say, when you say it's my church, that's my church, it's really not. It's his. You are the church. You don't own it. Well, I think the purpose of the church ought to be to, you know, I don't want to be ugly, but it doesn't really matter what you think the purpose. I think, here, here's what I'm saying. I will build my church, is what Jesus said. Right? Think about this. Think about if I went home this afternoon, and our next-door neighbors, they're members of our church, by the way, but our next-door neighbors, if I went over to their yard and I put a for sale sign, right? Put a for sale sign in their yard. And then somebody came by, and I, I went up to the door, right? I went up to the door, and I knocked, and, I, and, and they came to the door, and they said, you know, hey, Pastor, what are you doing? I said, well, I brought some people by to show them your house, right? Uh, because let me tell you this, guys. It's a really good time. 
good market to sell. I just think you guys need to do. All right. Well, they would look at me and say, well, they would say I was nuts, first of all. But number two is, you don't have the right because it's not yours. Does that make sense? And when we get enamored with what we think, we take ownership. And it's the downfall of any local congregation when it becomes their church. You know, does that make sense? It becomes the downfall. Why? Because you take it out of his hands. He owns it, and he's the builder. We don't come up with the purpose statement, and it's already there. We don't come up with it. We just discover it. It's in the scriptures, right? We're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. Who, are, who, does he, who has he called us to be? Not, are we going to, not going to take a vote and find out what everybody thinks, right? That's just, that's, just, that's just a disaster waiting to happen because it's his. He sets the direction, the purpose, and he's going to be the builder. Now, what are, what are the, as, as being the builder, what bricks is he using? Well, you're the bricks, right? He's the cornerstone. All the different metaphors that come from it, right? It's him. He's the one who, <coughs> because of who he is, what he came to do, the difference that comes into your life. And when you become a believer, you become part of his church, his building, his body. All the different metaphors that go with it, that's what it's talking about. It's who you are. It's who we are. This is us. This is us. So when you see it, it, it truly is a remarkable thing. So he's the foundation. He's the builder. And number three, the authority. The authority. Again, it goes with before about the sign in the yard. You don't own it, nor do you have the authority right? Nor does the owner give you the authority to sell. You know, if I went by, you don't have the right to do it. Why? Because it's not yours. It's an incredible thing, right? It's an incredible thing. When I think about what truly happens when you look at who we're supposed to be and the unity that comes with that. But authority is, a, is an amazing thing. Uh, authority is one of the most important things you can have. But it says here in verse 19, it says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Okay, what are keys? Uh, keys, I have keys. Um, when I came here, they even gave me a key to the building. And that one's that right there. And what that does is it gives me the authority to access the buildings. A key gives you authority to access a home, to access a closet, to access an office. It's authority. It allows you, right? And so Christ said he's going to give us the keys, the kingdom of heaven, and that you bind on earth, bound in heaven, bound on heaven, different things like that. Basically, he tells you a little bit of what it does. So it's the authority to do what he's called us to do. Interesting. Interesting. You know, that's why the Bible, because you're going to hear me talk about it in weeks to come. That's why the Bible goes on and on and on and on. Whenever it talks about the church, unity is the key phrase. And there's only one way that you'll be unified, that is all of us get on the same page, is if we find his purpose. Right? That's the only way it's going to happen. Which brings us to number four is the mission of the church. 
He's given us a mission. If I ask you in the room, what do you think we ought to be doing? I'll get a thousand different opinions, but he's already told us, right? He's already told us. Because he goes on to say in verse 18, he says, and he says, and I'll give you the keys. And, you know, basically he goes, he says, basically, I tell you, Peter, you know, I'm going to build my church. And, um, and the gates of hell will not prevail. What does that mean, gates of hell? Well, we don't really understand gates today because when you think about a gate, I mean, that's a gate to my backyard, which really doesn't mean anything. It's an opening. It's an entrance, right? But usually the gate and what's being referred to here is a gate to a city at Jesus' time. And you had to protect the gates or the city could be attacked and it would fall. Therefore, if you breach the gates, then you can get in the city. So I want you to understand this tells us a little bit more about who we are. God has not called us to live in our little Christian bubble, right? To build walls around ourselves and hang on. The picture here, can you put it back up there? The picture there is God's church attacking. You do get that, right? Because you don't, the gates won't prevail against you unless you're attacking the gates, right? And nor does an enemy pick up gates and run after you with them. Oh, the gates of hell were attacking me. No, gates don't attack. Gates defend. So as a believer, as a church, in this context, you're not to be on the defense. You are to be on the offense with what he's called us to do. I think that's interesting. These are just things you pick up by reading what the Scripture says and what Jesus said at the very beginning about who we are. So what we're saying here is, is that when we are who we're supposed to be, We are an awesome force. And that even the gates of hell won't be able to stand up. That's what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense to you? Right? I just want you to hear it. I just want you to hear that's who you are. Well, I don't feel that way. I get it. Doesn't matter how you feel. It's the truth. What is? This is us. This is what Jesus said he was going to build. And the only thing that can defeat us, ready for this, is us. That's the only thing that can defeat us. And my goodness, I've seen down through the years things that just cripple a local congregation. Everybody gets at odds over all kinds of things that don't matter. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But when you think on it, we have a mission, and, and the Scripture tells us what that mission is. Right? Now, we may do some things. We may help the poor. Jesus did. He commended us too also. But that's not who we are may be part of what we do, but that's not who we are. But what happens is when somebody gets, you know, gets a pet agenda and they, they make the whole thing about this one thing because that's their passion, then you get off track and get off track of being who God's called you to be. Interesting, huh? So when you look at this, okay, when you think about this, then what is the mission? Well, it's found in Matthew 28. It's the last thing that Jesus shared. Uh, before he left. He told you what, he told us what our marching orders were, right? And these marching orders are pretty cool to think about it, and when you think about it. And I just want to, I want to read them to you, and, um, and I don't know, <coughs> it's something to, to be understood in the context of who we are. 
all right? Matthew 28, it's the last thing Jesus said before he was ascended. This is Jesus has already died, he's already resurrected. He had appeared to the disciples, he was about to ascend to the Father. And this is what Jesus told his disciples as he was leaving. This is what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, all authority, we've already talked about authority, but he's, been, he's given it to you. Now, I, I love to say this, but I looked up the word all in the dictionary and it means all, right. And so all, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. It's like I like to tell you, you know, and, and I love sharing, is the, the authority thing is incredible. The difference between authority and strength. A police officer does not have the strength to stop a Mack truck coming at him, but he does have the authority. Authority is better than strength. Authority is better than strength. I may have the strength to stop a Mack truck, but give me the authority because all I have to do is, okay, stop. Right? In the name of the law, the government, and all the rest. Stop. We give that authority to police officers. Right? That authority. Jesus says he's got it all. Right? He's given it. He's given it to us. And he sends us on a mission. And what does that mission say? It says, go and make disciples. That has always been my heartbeat passion because I believe it to be the foundation of who he's called us to be, which is to make disciples, right? Make disciples. That is, make sure that we share the gospel with people, but it's not done there. Once somebody comes to the Lord, they have an opportunity to be a part of something, to grow, to learn what the scripture says, and grow to maturity to where they can function with the rest of us. It is an incredible thing. Go and make disciples, and all of what that means the authority has been given to me because of who I am and what I've come to do and what I have done at this point. I'm giving it to you. Go do it. Go do it. Right? Make disciples. And here's a couple things you do along the way. Baptize them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them. Teach them everything I've talked to you about. Everything I've commanded you. It's a passion of mine. That people know and understand what God's Word says. If you can have your faith and trust in it, it can have incredible impact in your life if you ever trust it and learn and put it into your lives. And he goes on to say of you know, all nations, and he says, goes on to say this, and lo, I am with you always, okay? Even until the end of the age. So think about this, guys. The task that he's given us is impossible for us to do. It is not possible for you to do. It's only possible if he works through us. This is us, right? I just want you to know who we are. This is us. It's an amazing thing when you really begin to say, wow, that is different. That's a lot different than I thought it was. That's a lot different than when I, I've heard other people talk about, of course it is. It is an amazing thing. Therefore, it is, it is, it is what causes us to have to, to continue to trust him. Because unless he works, it's all a fruitless effort, right? But he's promised to be with you. Lo, I am with you always. He's talking to you. He talked to them, yes. But we are the church, so he's talking to us. I am with you always, and yet what do we do with this passage? We quote that passage to you ourselves to say is that he's always with me. That's not what that says. He says, Lo, I'm with you. 
plural. This language we have, right? It's a plural. I'm going to be with you. This is us in this endeavor, Jesus said. That should clear up some things about what that verse means. Authority, empowering, opportunity. But in order to accomplish it, you're going to have to work together. Like the different members of a body. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. It's an incredible thing. And, and basically, Jesus says, I promise you, nothing's going to stop you unless you stop yourself. I just find it. I just want you to see it. I want to take the first of the year for just to, us to remind ourselves again who we are. This is, this is us. Man, here's where I'm going to close. Somebody asked me the other day, Jeff, did they teach you at seminary to say this is where I'm going to close? I said, I th yeah, I think so. But after I've told you, after the fifth time I say that, I'm really going to be done. But I want you to understand, this, I'm, with this, I'm done. You know, what are these keys? You know, Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. You know, I don't totally know, but perhaps some of it's just a mystery. I don't know. But I do know one of them. I found it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And this is the beginning part. There's no way. We don't have enough time for me to share with you the entire context, right, of what this looks like. Uh, but I just want you to see what one of these keys are when you understand the authority and the task and then the unity that you and I need to be. You know, by the way, guys, was that, was that a unity thing? You know, another metaphor that Jesus says, number one, we're, we're the body of Christ, right? We'll talk about that. But you know what else we're known as? We're known as the, the bride, right, of Christ. That's the revelation model. Again, we'll, we'll look at that later. But what does God say about a marriage? It says that the two will become one. Right? So when Jesus looks at Saul and says, you're persecuting me, it's the truth. Because we're one in him because of the symbolism he used with marriage. Right? And I'm here to tell you this, that there is no greater relationship in this world than a marital relationship that's unified. And I will tell you this, I don't think there's any worse relationship in the world than one that's not. It's the same with, with the church in Christ. I don't know that there's any cooler thing to be a part of than when a church, the bride of Christ and Christ are one. And I don't think there's anything more destructive than when they're not, when they're disunified. Am I making sense to you? All these metaphors, when they begin to come together, you're going, oh, so that's what was meant by that. Yeah, and when you see them, they're like, it dawns on you, this is us, right? This is us. Take a look at this passage. There's no way I can share with the context. When I saw him, I fell. This is John talking. I fell at his feet as though, as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, and he said, fear not, for I'm the first and the last. So we know who we're talking about here. And it goes on to say, and the living one, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. <clears throat> and then he tells you a little bit about some of the keys he has. Some people say it's, these are the keys talked about. I know there are at least one, but there may be more. And he goes, and I have the keys of death and hell. Therefore, I'll give you the keys, the church, us. Therefore, the mission, the message, 
of who Christ is and what he came to do. As I've told you many times, and I love saying it. I don't know why I love saying it. But if you've got an answer to death, you don't have any problems. Just minor annoyances, right? So what is the key? That is the authority. That is the answer to death. I have, Jesus says, I have the answer to death and hell. I have the cure. I have whatever you want to call it, what this key represents. But those are part of the keys that have been committed to who we are in the task he's given us to perform, which is sharing that with the world that needs to hear it. If there's one thing this world fears, it's death. Right? It's death. I'm afraid it's going to happen before I get to do all I want to do or, oh, you know, and, and on and on and on it goes, this fear that's constantly there. But if you have this key, if you have this answer, it's incredible how it makes everything fall into place. Guys, as I close, um, I just want you to hear it, that this is us. What we're talking about, this is us. So that's not, we got to get away from this is, this is who I am. Because that's what our culture drills into us. It's all about you. It's not. Sorry to bust your bubble. This is us. And when we get on that page, and when we see it, Scripture says not a whole lot's going to stop us. It's an incredible thing to think of. There's never been a time in your life that you put your faith and trust in him there will always be up here after people have afterwards. We're not talking about joining a church. Today you should totally understand joining a, a particular church, but joining his church, obviously, that's what happens to anyone who becomes a believer. But what does that mean? Understanding who he is and what he came to do. Be some folks up here afterwards love to talk with you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. Uh, Anthony, come on up. And uh, look forward to this. If you can... If you can make sure you hear the next two to three weeks, I can't tell you how important it is for us to see, to see these things and how they all fit together. All right. All right. God bless you. all have a wonderful day. Anthony, why don't you close this? Thank you.